When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Do you want to go to rugby heaven? Let's go back to 1987 with Squidge. With Let's go back to 87 with Squidge. And welcome. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. Just accommodate for all, all time zones to the Squid Rugby World Cup retrospective, the podcast where the time zone is always 1987. <laughs> joining, joining me today is myself, but as well as myself as ever, Mr. Will Owen. How are you doing? I'm very well in the same time zone as you. Thank you. Yeah. How are you? Oh, you know, entirely fine. Thank you. And we are very excited to be joined again by the one, the only, the ever wonderful Mr. Jamie Wall. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. And um, I'm talking to you from New Zealand, so a lot of it still looks like it's 1987 down here. So um, <laughs> uh, hopefully, you know, that's going to add to this whole this, this whole experience. So we did an episode on the opening ceremony. Oh yeah. To which the first two, the first two acts were both marching bands. Yes. Um, can I ask how representative that is of culture in New Zealand? At the time, mm. that was. I'm surprised there weren't more. <laughs> um, that's marching brass bands and pipe bands and also marching girls. So not cheerleaders, but right. Marching girls, I don't know if you guys, that you must have them because we must have got them from you. But, you know, like they wear the big hats and they have whistles and like yeah. someone's got a baton and they wear like double-breasted yes. kind of things. Like that was a huge part of growing up uh, in New Zealand in my, my time period. And so every time there'd be some sort of civic event, like like a centre parade or, a, mm. or, or I don't know, some, something happening. There would always be a brass band, a pipe band, and a, and a set of marching girls. And so it came as absolutely no surprise when I found that uh, that clip, which I actually found a while a while back. Mm. And I had to cringely, like, it took me like three days to watch it because I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. It's just, yeah, I was I was kind of surprised that the whole thing wasn't just just brass bands. And what was the funny, what was the bit where you said, you know, it was like, this, this, this brass band has come third in the country. Like, they couldn't oh, get, yeah. they couldn't get the, they couldn't get the best one. Like the, the best third one best New down. Zealand brass band of yeah. 1987 was performing <laughs> at, the, at the World Cup opening ceremony. Yeah, yeah. So to answer your question, um, it, it brought, back up, brought back a lot of memories, that, 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 <laughs> that clip. And I'm really glad you did and you devoted an episode to that because it definitely deserves a lot more airtime, especially down here in New Zealand because uh, it's a great way for us to reconnect with our, um, our cringeworthy past. <laughs> Sure. With spe- speaking of a cringeworthy past, 
we obviously had you on the podcast before on a 2011 series to discuss New Zealand against France in the pool stage of 2011. And I believe that since then, you've gone back and listened to our entire podcast and, and learned just how much shit we chat. Have you learned a lot from, from that experience, Jamie? I have. I have. I've heard, I've learned that you, you're, you're really committed to bits, you know, like the, the <laughs> all the money in the world thing. I, I quite enjoyed that. I, I enjoyed all the money in the world's journey from Andy Gomesall's pocket to wherever it ended up. Uh, <laughs> and I have to say, I have to say that as it got towards the business end of the tournament, that's some, and I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this because you guys are here, but that's some of the best rugby analysis I've, I've listened to. Uh, Thank you. Like Thank legit, you. like, like I, as a New Zealander, we often don't look at the 2011 World Cup with any sort of degree of real critical analysis because mm. it was such a an emotional event. Like not yeah. many people have actually gone back and watched that again because it was mm. such a a rough emotional experience. And to hear it being broken down by people who had obviously an, an attachment to it, but not in the same way that like I would have yeah. watched it because I, I basically didn't watch it. I sat there with my my head between my legs for the whole thing trying not to see what happened next and to hear it actually get broken down and to hear people say like actually that was a really good game that's the first time I've ever heard anyone say that and, and then when you actually put it out there I thought to myself well actually yeah, yeah maybe I should go back and watch it I haven't done it but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a really really great game if you're in the mood for that sort of game, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Um, like it's not a casual chuck about, but it's a phenomenal, like tight, tense game. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and also what I think what I got out of that, the 2011 retrospective was just how much stuff's changed. Like it's crazy, I, isn't it? Yeah. Like how many, how many guys would have been sent off in those games for <laughs> stuff that was just, just completely commonplace. Yeah, um, yeah. Back then. Yeah. And there was a lot of other stuff that obviously sort of passed me by because obviously with World Cups, you, you tend to kind of forget the stuff that wasn't involving your own, your own country, which is something I'd be interested to kind of chat about with this and this, this game we're covering today. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, like, like listening to some other games that I'd, I'd completely forgotten about. Like it was, it was great. I, I really enjoyed it. So I, oh, I listened you. to that whole, the whole podcast because my you son was born. In, yeah. Well, my son was born in May and every morning mm. we'd wake up and, walk up Mount Eden, which is near Eden Park, funnily enough, and I'd listen to an episode every morning. So I managed to churn through the entire bloody thing. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Including the one I was on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, that you've put yourself through that. But, you know, I'm sure that having your son with you really got you through the, those traumatic experiences of listening to us talk about that. Well, I'm always going to associate that with that time of my life, which I'm never going to forget. So, you know, there's that. Mm. That's very nice. That's very nice. You're flattering <laughs> us loads, which makes me think you're going to say something horrible <laughs> soon. I'm, but... yeah, I'm glad we're of equal importance to the early days of your son's life. <laughs> <laughs> I will I will say something, though. I will say something. So, mm. so then, you know, your next one rolls around and you say you're doing 1987 I thought oh this is ambitious this, this is ambitious because it's a long time ago and you know it's 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 something that's so long ago even New Zealanders don't really like remember it sort of as well as we would have say in 1995 oh. or 2011 obviously yeah simply because you know it's our it's it's like my dad's generation mm. of of remembrance. So if you were to ask the average New Zealand rugby fan, like, what do you remember of the 1987 World Cup? It would be 
like the final, the probably Buck, what Buck did in the in the semi-final. I'm not going to ruin it for, for folks. <laughs> and Kerwin's try in yeah. that Italy game. Because that's, yeah. you know, generally generally regarded as as one of the great all black moments of all time, which is kind yeah. of funny because it's against Italy and it's in a in a hiding. And, and there's a dog like, on the pitch yeah, 30 yeah, seconds yeah, before. Yeah, 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 which is which is brilliant. Um <laughs> uh, but but other than that, I don't think too many New Zealand rugby fans could probably tell you much sure, about yeah. the 1987 World Cup. And I, I think hardly anyone would would be able to tell you that half of it was played in Australia, even. Mm, you know? yeah. Like like but like my my knowledge of any games not involving the All Blacks is probably limited to that that Zimbabwe Romania game because yeah, I just yeah. I re- I remember that guy scoring that try where he dived and he sort of did a forward roll and that was held up as being this amazing feat of athleticism at the time. So it is interesting to hear a perspective of like other other teams and then also the other thing about it though is it's almost become mythologized like this is a, this is regarded as, as a great all black team mm, yeah. um this is you know that most most new zealand rugby fans could rattle off the entire 87 like final world cup winning team and so it's held in a really really high regard and then the the years afterwards 1988 and 1999 is arguably if you look at all black teams, you've got that one, you've got the team of the mid nineties and then the team of the kind of early to mid 2010s mm. and are generally yeah. regarded as the best all black teams of all time. Yeah. And then, so to hear you guys <laughs> go on and talk about <laughs> the game against Italy, is like a complete load of shit. Was kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> there was something that was both surprising and completely unsurprising about it. And I think because we had a similar thing of having grown up hearing the 1970s Wales team just eulogised, you know, yeah. from before our time, but it was talked about constantly. And then it was a few times over lockdown that like BBC Wales would show full matches from the 70s because they had nothing else to put on about rugby. So they would just show, yeah, full games of Gareth Edwards playing and so on. And you forget how much, because all you see is the tries. All you see is yeah, the great yeah. iconic moments. Yeah. You forget that how much not how many knock-ons there are in the, between and how the, many pointless kicks in the air. The New Zealand Barbarians game from 1973, where Gareth Edwards obviously scored that amazing try yep. that's always talked about. Like we've all seen that a billion times. I think that's amazing. And then we've probably all seen the highlights of that game a few times, but we yeah. hadn't seen the full match until then. And just how terrible the rest of it was that wasn't on the highlights <laughs> package was just a treat, man. And like, we are obviously all here probably appreciators of terrible rugby, oh, yeah. which is, you know, it's an art in itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and I think also looking back, because I was, I was six years old, when mm. this this was this right. was happening, so I do have some sort of very faint memories of the, the eighty seven World Cup. I think it was my first year of actually playing rugby. Oh wow! Well. Wow, okay. And we got. I remember we got some like little promotional stuff at school, which was like a little you know autograph sheet. Mm, right. Um, and I I definitely remember the final, but that's about it from those days. But yeah, there were some other events that year that sort of actually pertain to this game. Um, okay. Which Go on. Be, we'll get into. Well, so if we can start talking about the game. So New Zealand are playing Fiji. Mm. Right? Yes, yes. And one one of the main criticisms of 
the All Blacks over the over in the professional area anyway is that they don't they haven't played much rugby in the Pacific Islands. Mm. And, and there was an event that happened like two weeks before this game mm. that actually connects to this. So, so Fiji was really in the news in New Zealand at the time. And I, I definitely remember this because at the time Fiji was, I mean, it's still, well, you know, pre-COVID. So mm. obviously very popular holiday destination for New Zealanders and Aussies. And it's not that far away. It's about a three-hour flight. Mm. And the tourism industry is really big. For, for people like us. And there'd been a, a military coup in Fiji <laughs> like a fortnight before this game had happened. And I remember it being a really, really big deal. And I thought, and I'd sort of like, oh, oh that's right. There's a coup in 87. I'll go and check it out. Expect, and so I went on Wikipedia that, and I expected it to be like quite a big deal. Mm. It's, it was the most laid back coup d'etat I've, I've <laughs> ever seen. It was... <laughs> 10 guys walked yeah. into the Fijian parliament. I don't even know if all of them were up. And then just asked their prime minister, hey, man, uh, you, you're out. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're taking over. And then, the, and then the, I think he was the general of their army, just came in and just sat down and just said, like, right, I'm in charge now. And no one, no one even got hurt, let alone killed in this. So it was a, yeah, bloodless, like an actual bloodless coup. <laughs> And what it, what it actually did was, so at the time, New Zealand was obviously boycotting contact South Africa. And mm. the easiest one to do, well, it turned out to be a lot harder than we thought was sporting contact. Mm. And so then they actually imposed a sanction, the same sanction on Fiji, which is, so up until that point, the All Blacks and, and Fiji had actually played each other a few times. They just hadn't been official test matches. So we had, the, the All Blacks had been to Fiji like sort of three or four times in the previous decade. And the New Zealand Māori team had been there at least a dozen times over their history. So contact with, the, with at least that Pacific Island nation was actually pretty, pretty strong. And so this being the first official test match, it was also the last one for like another 10 years because they wow. didn't rescind that didn't rescind that ban. And also, it's sort of almost still in place because no official New Zealand team has been to Fiji ever since. And so that's actually one of the reasons why the All Blacks haven't gone to Pacific Islands much because that's... Hmm. So it all comes back to that, this event that happened just like a fortnight before this game kicked off. So... So oh. it's obviously a lot more complicated issue than just like oh, New Zealand rugby doesn't want to go play in Fiji because there is an actual government um, yeah. Yeah. kind of edict going on there. But it was literally a fortnight before this game. This game happened, and obviously Fiji had already, you know, made plans to attend the World Cup. So here they here they are at <laughs> Lancaster Park. Wow! Yeah, and I mean, I yeah. I also in looking it up, I came across eight days before this game an Air New Zealand flight that was stopping over in Fiji on the way to Auckland was hijacked by people, you know, wanting the release of the now deposed Fijian Prime Minister, which was, you know, international incident. I enjoyed the Wikipedia page. It was just a guy that walked on, told everyone he was carrying dynamite. He wasn't. And he then sat and wow. chatted with the cabin crew for six hours before eventually giving up and leaving and letting <laughs> him go. Yeah. But it was 
it then becomes a far bigger deal when, yeah, it's a, it's a hijacking. I do the Wikipedia page says, and there's clearly a section that they have to have on, because I read a news article on it, then I looked at the Wikipedia page, and there's clearly a section they have to have on every Wikipedia page on flight hijackings. It says, passengers, 105, crew, 24, fatalities, zero, survivors, 129. So you've got a bit of quick maths there. <laughs> you know, they added that up together. They added that to find the total. Good strike rate. Yeah, but there was an awful lot of kind of New Zealand, Fiji, should we say conversations going yes. on at yeah. the time? You, you'd, think, you'd think two nations like these would be pretty happy next to each mm. other and things would be going along. It's not actually, politically, it's not actually as harmonious. It gets even more complicated because there was a, there's been more coups in Fiji mm. since that have made things even more difficult. But the general consensus down here is that while we can't have full diplomatic relations with them, the coups probably made Fiji a, a better off place because right. of the, um, it cleaned up a lot of the corruption that was happening up there because Fiji was being used as a tax haven right. around these times. So, so yeah, there's, there's, uh, it's a, it, it deserves a whole podcast on its own, but sure. I just thought I'd, yeah. I just thought I'd bring that up because that was what was happening at the time. And it's interesting listening to the commentary of this game because they don't even mention it at all. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because you really of course get historical was... context on these, uh, on these episodes. So that's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot more about what, the All Blacks were doing at the time, because I obviously mentioned South Africa mm. in there as well. But so obviously the last two years for the All Blacks were not great. Actually, yeah. the last, sorry, the, the decade of the 80s up until this point had not been a good one for the All Blacks, both on and off the field. And goes back to 1981 with the, the last Springbok tour that happened in New Zealand, which caused like a massive amount of civil unrest. Yeah. and everything and and the years that followed it actually really massively affected New Zealand society's relationship with rugby mm. and this world cup was seen as a way of kind of rebuilding that right yeah. uh, and if you look at games in the previous years like 1986-1985 the crowds are actually really down for what mm-hmm. you, what you'd, you'd, you'd expect for a for an all-black test uh, and so this this is very much the All Blacks rebranding themselves, both officially and with the New Zealand public. This was, right. this is what this kind of era is seen as. And I'll talk about this a little bit later on because I know sure. I'm mindful that we've we're <laughs> talked for a while. We haven't even we're not that even on the field yet. So yeah, no, 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 no. And I mean, you did mention yeah. the crowd. Like this is the All Blacks playing at home in a World Cup. And, you know, at the time, the capacity was 36,000. There's about 24,000 there. So there are plenty of empty seats. Yeah. For... I, b- I believe this was on a weekday, though. This, this, is that right? Because oh. I know they're talking about a bunch of school kids. Because I noticed, not, I picked up on the commentary that he said that all the schools in Christchurch have been given half the day off. You're right. You're right. This was a Wednesday. Oh, okay. Um, yes. This game. I thought so they played these on Wednesday. Oh no, weekends. This game kicked off that. local time, two p.m. on a Wednesday. Right. Yeah. So, so obviously none of the none of the stadiums in New Zealand had lights at this mm. time. So all games had to be played in the afternoon, <laughs> and this was right up until when I was at college. So the first big rugby game that I went to was Wellington against the Springboks in 1994. Right. And that was on a Wednesday afternoon as well. And right. all the schools and so so schools getting the half the day off to go to rugby games mm. was the dumb thing right up until I was 
you know, old enough to be doing it. So, so it's not, that brought back a bit of memories um, for me because it, um, if there's one thing that, that, that stirs up the nostalgia when I'm watching these old games, it's, you know, being in the afternoon and then by the end of the game, the shadows get really long across the field because the sun's gone, yeah. gone down. And I can almost sort of smell what it was like back then oh, in the, the old stadiums. Mm, love that. So, yeah, so just, just another note just on, you know, where they're playing. Like, this is Lancaster Park, which is obviously not there yeah. anymore. It got condemned in the earthquake. But just last week, they've announced, the Canterbury, oh, Christchurch City Council have announced that they're going to reopen it as a community sports field. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Cool. I, I no idea. So they've, that is so cool. they've, they've They've finally they've finally demolished the last remaining bits mm. of it, which was all new. So everything you see in this game had been replaced, and it's a real shame because they just spent like you know millions and millions of dollars building new stands, yeah. and they'd only been there for a couple of years, and that was supposed to host you know World Cup games in 2011, but mm. it's all gone, all gone now. Yeah. So yeah, if you ever if you ever want to come to Christchurch, you could probably go have a game of footy actually on Lancaster Park. So oh, that, wow. that's I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you never know. Good. Never know. We could, yeah, we could come over there for for a game of touch with I, you, Jamie. You never know. I want to yeah. take a shot at goal from the spot where <laughs> Superboot himself had a shot at goal. That's right. What, that's what I want to do. Mean, that's now on my bucket list. <laughs> I mean, which one? And also, you're going to miss because they're all from about ninety meters out. Yeah, exactly. Like, I might as well take it from where I am now. You know, yeah, exactly. Through altitude, I've got a better shot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, with that, so mm. we're talking about New Zealand against Fiji, as yeah. uh, as we've got. Should we look at the Fiji team? I sure. think it's a good place to start. And I mean, look, it's an unconventional place to start, but I kind of want to mention right up top the post-match interviews from the end of this game. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was wondering when this would come up because this is a key part. Yeah. yeah. So obviously, Fiji have played one game a few days earlier. And they've got a game on the Sunday, and this game is played on the Wednesday, against Italy, right? Uh, and all to get out of the group, they need two wins. They've already beaten Argentina at this point. And then, yeah, they need to beat Italy the following week. And instead of thinking, you know what, well, we'll go and try and beat the All Blacks, they focus their energies instead on Italy. And they are very upfront about this. Yeah. To the point in which when, when we start, when they go, sorry, at the end of the game, the interviewer asks... David Kirk, you've just scored 74 points. You must be delighted with that performance. The first thing he says is, well, I want to say how disappointed I am with Fiji. I love that. How rarely do you hear a post-match, especially with an all-black captain, when people, mm. you know, people talk about, oh, all-blacks, no dickheads policy. Oh, we're all humble here in the all-blacks. <laughs> and he just straight away comes out as the big role model. We've got all these kids have, have, have come home early from school to, to go and watch the game. And he basically just goes, Fiji were quite shit, to be honest. And I don't like that. And I have to add, this is not just any old black captain as well. Like, this mm. is David Kirk. So <laughs> he's very much an outlier when it comes to all black captains. And this is part of the kind of rebrand that I mentioned before, which was that rugby was trying to sell itself back to the people who it had pushed away with its, the whole South Africa issue. Right, yeah. And sort of more by accident than design, Kirk got captaincy over Andy Dalton, who was the, the hooker who was injured for this whole whole tournament. And Kirk was this young cherubic, cherubic, cherubic? cherubic? You know, he looks like a cherub. Yeah. You know, this one kind of <laughs> yeah. every, every mother's dream boyfriend for her daughter kind of guy. <laughs> yes. He was a, he was a medical student. He was a doctor by the stage. He was a doctor, sorry, what I'm talking about. He was articulate, 
And he was sort of everything that rugby kind of needed to sell itself as. And he's regarded as as, as the smartest all black captain of all time. He's also kind of mm. kind of like the only guy like that who's ever properly captain the all blacks. Mm. But imagine what Dane Coles would have said after this test. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it would have been a few more swear words. But but yeah. But but to hear Kirk to hear Kirk just come out and just trash talk them hard was was like oh wow okay I love <laughs> it I love it because he's clearly a very placid man but he is as close to fuming as he can get. Like, that is as angry yeah. as he is able to be. It's passive-aggressive, passive, passive aggressive, and I think he ju- does go 50-50 on passive mm. and aggressive, which I think is the furthest along the scale he's been. I imagine when he went back into the changing rooms, they were like, David, what are you doing? Where's that aggression on the pitch, my man? <laughs> he's the sort of person where if he says darn, everyone's going to be like, whoa, whoa Lock him up. Is. Yeah, what are you saying? Yeah, but it was it was he was not happy with how well Fiji played and the kind of team Fiji put out. Uh, yeah. And then when they call the Fijian captain over, he doesn't give a shit. Holly uh, he, he, he they kind of say to him like, "What do you think of that game?" And he's like, oh, "You know, I don't care. We're playing Italy in a few days' time." Yeah, uh, he's talking more him, about the upcoming game yeah they say to him like so have you got any positive you can take from that performance he says yeah i mean we're you know a few days close to playing italy yeah so performance <laughs> what more performance well have you just been watching a game on telly or something i don't know i don't know <laughs> he basically could have said i don't care i yeah. wasn't trying i've forgotten already you know i was trying to pass two hours yeah, yeah. So Fiji made so, nine changes from their game mm. against Argentina to this. And like, there's a few names that stay in. So they, they keep in Carlo Duadua, a.k.a. Superboot, our new favourite player. They keep in Tomasi Thama, who's obviously yeah, probably one of the more famous players from this Fijian team. But then there's there's a few sort of a, a few rotations. There was Nawalu comes in at nine due to injury. Gioji Farmer comes in second row, his test debut. And I was quite quite impressed with him towards mm. the end. I mean, we'll come on to him, but yeah, there's there's quite a lot of changes uh, in this Fijian team and a few a few new names to learn. Yeah, I think bloody superbit aside, virtually everyone who stands out in the previous game is rested. It very yeah. much feels like a second team. Yeah. Yeah, he's um, out of that guy in his carver farms. Uh, he's not here today. No, he's, he's no. busy working on his side projects. Uh, they do have on the bench a guy called Tom Mitchell who snuck in there. Presumably, really it's not future England sevens captain Tom Mitchell. No, unfortunately, he was. <laughs> I checked this. He was four. Ah, oh. I also considering the hit rate of fathers of future players. Penny Volavola, who comes in at tie head, is not related. I looked this up. Ben I found out that Ben Volavola's granddad is also called Penny um, oh. and was the mayor of Suva in 2003. Yes. I found that out too. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, probably, he probably got that through a bloodless coup as well. He probably just went <laughs> in with a. Saying saying he had a had a bomb or something, and then the guy just got up and went, okay, right, I'm out of here. All yours. Hey. <laughs> okay, there's three of us right now. If we can get a few mates together, I reckon we could take over Fiji. It's possible. One, I, I, you're, you're actually not that far off the truth. I, I think it was 2006. <laughs> mm. A guy called George Spate, who right. I'm quite sure is related to former Wallabies and Brumbies wing Henry Spate. Okay. okay. I like where this is actually, going. Actually tried to do that, like pretty much <laughs> tried to stage a coup with just, and he was just some local businessman like he owned like a mm. fabric business and just decided <laughs> to go do that so 
you know, it's not out of the question. It's not out of the question. I like, I like the thought that he maybe like woke up after a night out and texted his mates like, "What happened last night?" It's like, "Oh, don't talk about it. You nearly overthrew Fiji, mate." <laughs> <laughs> or it was the opposite. He woke up hungover. Was like, you know what would fix this? If I was in charge of Fiji, <laughs> I might just invade Fiji. <laughs> We've all had those mornings. Um, um, I mean, I also uh, whilst looking up stuff about this Fijian team, hmm. I found a Google article called 10 facts you don't you wouldn't know about Ben Volavola, which <laughs> okay. uh, is interesting. Uh, how I'll many of them are now, but... how many of them are uh, Shailene Woodley related? Yeah, I think oh, yeah. there's something about how the fact he has famous family members, apparently. OK, uh, I'll, I'll find that now. Keep, his, keep talking about his um, uncle who held a a coup in which someone got a paper cut and it was the most violent coup in the history of Fiji. Here we go. 10 interesting things that you do not know about Ven Vola Vola. Okay. Um, so, oh, it includes his height, which is 1.89 metres. Has a brother called Milan. Um, oh, no, here Good we fact. go. Didn't know it. Vola Vola was in a relationship with actress Shailene Woodley. Okay, I, mean, I did, I did, did know, know that. With that. Two from three. Two from three. His name's meaning is to write. Really? Yeah, I That's didn't know interesting. That. He obtained his certificate three and four in fitness at the Australian Institute of Fitness. <laughs> I didn't know that. These are good Ben Vola Vola facts. Vola Vola has it's... a business diploma from the Australian Vocational Training Academy. Sorry, when you say article, do you mean LinkedIn page? <laughs> <laughs> okay, the, the next one says, Thomas comes from a small family of four. I don't know who Thomas is. It's a short story he wrote. You know, his name is to write, and he wrote a short story about okay. Thomas. Vola Vola idolizes Dan Carter. I didn't know okay. that, but I could have guessed that. Sure. I mean, he's famously former... brought in to replace Dan Carter, the Crusaders. Of course. Um, look how that went. He's the uh, grandson of the former mayor of Suva, which we now know. He turned 30 years old in 2021. That's great, great good, fact. Good fact. Good fact. Um, Bordeaux terminated his contract and dismissed him as not being good enough. <laughs> Brings it Rough. down because the other facts Rough. have been really kind about him, really nice about him. And they go, what a fact. good, talented, handsome lad he is. And then one where they go, yeah, but Bordeaux thought it was shit. <laughs> the final fact is Ben's height is six foot three. That's it. Wait a minute. So the first and last fact about his height. Yes. <laughs> that is nine facts plus one repackage. No, no, they, they had some stats at the start. I Did you know the... Uh, okay. Did you know that... Ben... Wait a minute. No, if you've read the start of the article, you know the last fact. Yeah, that's true, actually. So, yeah, you do. Uh, we do know that. We do know that. As long as you can do metric conversions. Unless like, they add... Unless they do just start repeating the facts later on, but in different guises. <laughs> yeah. It becomes in different like, languages. Yeah. He once met actress Shailene Woodley. Yeah, that's true. You start true. running through them in different guises. Yeah. Okay, should we move on to the New Zealand, New Zealand team? <laughs> oh, just, just, just quickly, there is... Mm. I did spot a couple of connections today. I'm, I'm presuming mm. you know that Tomasi Thama Senior yes. is the father, yes. father of... Believe it or not, Tomasi Thama Junior. Yes. Unbelievable sevens, sevens player. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's actually got the record for either most caps or most points for the All Black Sevens. Hmm. Anyway, anyway. Um, but also, uh, number seven, the open side, Samuela Vunivalu. I'm about 83% sure he is the father of Suliasi Vunivalu, who you guys might not have heard of yet, but because he's just converted from rugby league. He was uh, right. mm-hmm. played for the Melbourne Storm. 
and he signed with the Queensland Reds. And okay, will be, the surname rang a bell. He, I didn't know where from, so that's good. He will be he will be their replacement. It's looking like for Marika Kotobiti. Okay. Uh, so he should be he should be in the Wallabies this year, and he is really really good. Okay. Uh, I, I can't wait to see him. I know exactly. Uh, yeah. Color. Yeah. So yeah. he's he's about he's really really big tall winger. He kind of reminds reminds me of Joe Rocopoco. Uh, mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So so yeah, that's, uh, that's a big keep call. an eye out for Samuel Avonivalu's son Suliasi because he he's already he already won like two premierships with the Melbourne Storm and the NRL. Um, oh, okay. And he went to school. He went to school in New Zealand in a classic, like what the Northern Hemisphere press would say, poaching kind of <laughs> situation. Because he came over and spent his senior years at St Kent's College mm. in in Auckland. So he's definitely one of the guys that the All Blacks would love to have as well. But he, I think, his family's based in Australia, so that's why he's over there. Mm. Right. No, that's the yeah, that's good. There's always we can always rely on uh, Fiji to bring through bring through talent for other nations <laughs> this World Cup. Yeah. Yeah. So many to come. There's so I'm so excited for the day. I feel incredibly old watching a player who I remember watching son play. Sure. Um, yeah. That that must be not a long way away now. Yeah. It's terrifying. Oh, it's already it? it's already happening to me. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've been tr- keeping it like we've almost been keeping track of Shane Williams's son, like basically since he was about four years old and started playing rugby. Uh, we've we've kind of like been thinking like, oh, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? There was uh, Stephen Jones, obviously mm. the fly half, not the twat. Um, <laughs> when when he had had a son, the, the day the day his wife went into labour, there were already odds on him playing yeah. for Wales and rookies. Oh. There was an article in the rugby paper here because he was born on the same day as Phil Bennett, his father, and the same mm. hospital as Barry John or something. Yeah, um, he shares a birthday went, with like, Jiffy or something like that. There was an article called, like, Seb Jones, the child who's destined to pl- play 10 for Wales. And there's a full write-up on how this newborn baby who was one day old is one day going to play by half. <laughs> <It's away>. awful. <laughs> That's the level of hype around the Welsh 10 shirt. It's stupid. It's yeah. not even... It's not even silly or novel or anything it's just stupid anyway the new zealand number 10 shirt very much worn by grant fox yes who stands out even when you're glancing through the team as you say of pretty much entirely heroic and historic all blacks there's a handful of changes in the previous game warwick taylor comes in in the center and then we have both wettons playing this time out. Yeah, yeah. And Albie Anderson coming in the second row as well. There's a change. Of course, John Gallagher and Michael Jones both winning their second caps at this point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the only... Just looking at this team from a New Zealand point of view, the only... Because this is obviously, like I said, a very storied Mm. black team. And and most of these guys went on to have what you call a legendary all black careers. And there's actually a few guys in here that have gone on to be much bigger just in New Zealand society. I think that there's, mm. hang on, what, one, two, three guys have been knighted. Uh, wow. In this team. wow. The coach obviously was. Well. Yeah, so Buck Shelf and Michael Jones and John Kerwin are all, are all knights. And wow. so Brian Lahore, who's coach, was as well. Obviously, you got Sean Fitzpatrick, who's one of the greatest captains ever. Fox is regarded as. Yeah. You know, the great one of the greatest first fives ever. Um, and Kirk is you know, first captain of the World Cup. The only name in the, and then and in the Wheaton brothers, obviously, um, mm. you know, quite mm. legendary as well. The only guy that kind of sticks out is like 
if you were to say to someone, okay, name this team, the only yeah. one they're going to have trouble is, is Albert Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah. He, yeah, he, he's, he's, he's coming. I think, I think Murray Pierce has been injured or I'll rest it. I'm not sure. Mm. But yeah, so he's, he's the only one that kind of just sticks out as a, as a um, bit of a misnomer there. No yeah, disrespect sure. at all to Albert Anderson. I'm sure he's a great guy. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, uh, I wasn't aware of him. I, I'd never heard of him. As you say, and that stands out when you're looking through the All Blacks team sheet like that, that even someone like, Joe Stanley, who isn't necessarily talked about as an all-time great, I knew him. You know, I knew his yeah, yeah. kind of legacy and talk. And obviously, you know, family connections as well. But, yeah. Um, there's also on the bench, Fran Botico, obviously, mm. as was in the last game. But coming in on the bench this time, Kieran Crowley. Yeah. Who, obviously, now the Italy coach, coached Canada and Benetton for a long time. Additionally, Bruce Deans, Robbie Deans' brother. Is his brother? Yeah. I meant to look that up. I meant to check that. Yeah, it's quite sadly, you know, nobody gets on from either bench in this game. Well, I say sadly, Fiji didn't care, but but yeah, <laughs> should, should we start looking at some of the tries in this game? Because let's face it, that's what all the highlights are going to be. And I mean, that's how that's how the game starts, isn't it? With a try. Oh, can I just yeah. can I just bring up one thing before we get on? Do it. Mm, go um, for it. Did you guys did you guys notice that the All Blacks almost forgot to do the yes. Oh yes, yes, <laughs> yes. That's yes. Because they kind of watched Fiji doing the thimby and just thought, oh, that's, yeah, that's and nice, then li- that's, that's good. And then Fiji lined up to kick off, and then the All Blacks lined up to <laughs> go to kick off as well. And then went, oh, wait, this is what we do now. Because, of course, it had only been, this was the first year where they actually started doing the haka before every test, because hmm. up until that point, it had only been done overseas. Right. And there's a great book you can read about this. It's called oh, Based yes. on Haka. It's by, it's by me and Andy Burt and it's still oh. available on uh, online at all good uh, book depositories. Sounds like a there really go. good book. Let's read it. So better, just thought I'd shoehorn that in there. <laughs> Absolutely. He's always switched on, is this man. Yeah, no. Love that. Love that. But yeah, that, that was, that was then, very very good. As the game starts as well, we get to hear the dulcet tones of a very young Grant Nisbet. Right? That's, that that surprised me that even it's right. like he's been going even this long. Well, I remember him saying uh, he's he he's actually been around for longer uh, right. than, than this. He's not that young at this stage. He's been around in New Zealand broadcasting for a good sort of five years by this point. Wow. Okay. Right. Um, yeah. So I remember him saying uh, he commentated on over two hundred All Blacks tests. Mm, of course. I'm surprised it's only that many. It's, uh, to be honest, because like, he, he's like unavoidable. He's, he's called, yeah. Yeah, he's been around for a long time. He, I think he was almost commentating in the 70s. Uh, wow. As well. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and then joining him joining him on co-commentary is former All Black 2-5 Earl Curtin, <laughs> who has a very distinctive kind of weirdly upper class, about as upper class in yeah. New Zealand accent as you can get. It's... <laughs> Yeah, he's he's got a strange he's got a strange sounding voice, and he's he's a Wellington guy. He's he's a dentist, and mm. or at least he was. He must he must have died by now. I think he's still alive. And he's famous for wearing a tweed scarf and standing behind the goalpost at every Wellington game, smoking a cigar. That's what that was his phenomenal tweed. You have me at tweed scarf. He is somehow both RP and Kiwi accented, which is impressive. And the first thing he says is the Fiji team are as hard as canned sardines. Yes. I, I tend to find it's the can that's hard, not the sardines. Yeah. Um, There's also a point where he describes Warwick Taylor as sucking off Joe, which <laughs> is interesting when he sets up a try for John Gallagher in the second half. 
And he, he also says, he also says something slightly racist in the in the scene. Oh, I recorded that. That's spectacular. The he also mentions that a good the tactic feed can probably go with will be the backs trying to stay on their feet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's, I don't know if this is the, the slightly racist thing you mentioned, but there's the point where he says that uh, they've done machines. Done machines. Yeah. So should I just play the clip? The, the, just the do it. Do it. Do it. Let's get this um, out of the way. I think Oh. I mean, he then, yeah, oh, as you say, okay. goes on to say, well, it's probably because they've only got uh, one scrum machine in Fiji, and it's Fiji plugs out the air. Then he really commits to it and keeps bringing up the fact that right. there's only one scrum machine in Fiji. Yeah, and that's why they can't uh, scrummage. So the, the point in which he then tries to, and I think he has that kind of classic racist remorse of going, oh, no, I said something bad, in which he starts saying about how great this one scrum machine is <laughs> and how I, I think this is the best scrum machine. Quality, not quantity. Eh? Got that one scrum machine. It is. It's a bit like, do you want us to leave you in this scrum machine alone? Like, what's... <laughs> it's, it's definitely okay. Is this a sucking off Joe situation? I've, I've uh, just seen, seen a picture of him through to you on Twitter, Well, and he looks exactly the way you think. Oh my god, he really does. He really does. Yeah. I'll just hold that up to the screen for you there, Robbie. <laughs> yes, yes, that is exactly what I imagined. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Hard as can sardines. Yeah. There's another thing. Sp- speaking of stuff on Twitter, before we honestly get onto the game, mm. uh, since we last recorded a podcast with you, Jamie, I discovered a tweet I made in 2013, which says, at Jamie Wall 2, Ben Blair was always one of my favourite players. For some reason, in 2013, I replied to a tweet of yours saying, remember when Ben Blair and Scott Robertson combined to win a test against Argentina? Hashtag rugby championship, hashtag NZVARG. And for some reason, when I was watching that game, I, I somehow found your tweet. I don't remember this at all. I, 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 we didn't know who each other were. At this point, we were probably just rugby fans. And how, for some reason, I, I was probably about, what, uh, 15, maybe? Uh, and for some reason, I felt the need to search these tweets, I must go on the hashtag or something and reply to this guy, Jamie Wall, who I would, what, nine years later, go on a podcast with um, <laughs> and tell him that Ben Blair was one of my favourite players. That's that's interesting because um, <laughs> I, I, I think I remember exactly what, yes, I found it. And you're the only, you, that was the only activity on that tweet was you <laughs> responding to it. <laughs> It's funny. It's funny because I reused that gag last year. Now that I have probably a bit more pull, because I used it as a way to say this was the time Scott Robertson saved the All Blacks, because it was when he set up a try for Ben Blair um, mm. to avoid what would have been the All Blacks' first ever defeat, Los Pumas. And I used it as a, as a way of saying, like, well, perhaps he should be saving the All Blacks right now. So. <laughs> Yeah, I recycled that. I recycled that reference. That's um, good. That's good. And, and it got one hundred and sixty-eight. It got one hundred and sixty-eight likes, twenty-nine retweets, and seventeen replies. So, should, should I just, just, should I just put out a tweet saying Ben Blair is my favorite player right now and see how many <laughs> likes I can get? Oh well, you won't get a like from me because I'm not a big Ben Blair fan. Um, no, fair enough. But that was, I mean, he yeah. played at Cardiff and he was ben, great there. It was yeah. People who watched him at Cardiff, where he was really solid and great. 
had a very different opinion of Ben Blair to everyone in New Zealand, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think, to be honest, at this point, as I say, I was probably about 15 years old. I think I just really, really wanted somebody to, to, to join me in liking Ben Blair. I was clearly feeling very lonely in this opinion and just reaching out to strangers on the internet to talk about Ben Blair <laughs> with them. I think there's a new social I, media channel that can be made in this. I'm so sorry I didn't respond to you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Maybe, maybe at some point in the next ten years, you might. <laughs> I, might. I can understand. Yeah, I might. I'll think about. Yeah. It. I've got to think of something clever to respond to that like, <laughs> nine nine year old tweet. Oh, oh, that's why. That's why you did it. It's because you did it on September 29th. And ah, that, that's why. Because that's my. That is all Wellington fans' annual day of hatred of Ben Blair. Because that was the day he scored the try that beat. That won no way. Um, the Ramphilly Shield for Canterbury Overwhelming. So if you go if you go to Twitter advanced search and you search for every tweet I've done on September the 29th, then you'll see why. Oh my god. That's incredible. I I never yeah. thought I would have had an answer to that. Like I don't know even how I found that tweet about Ben Blair that I sent what nine years ago. But I'm I'm so grateful to finally have answers. There you go. Thanks, man. That was, that's the, it's great how it comes full circle. It's been a wonderful afternoon in couples therapy here. Yes. Um, but... This has been so, really quite emotional. Uh, the rugby that kicks off. Yes, yes. Um, 50 minutes I mean, into this podcast. Things begin immediately with Fiji dropping the ball, the All Blacks getting a scrum, the All Blacks scoring from the scrum. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I've done it slower than the All Blacks did. Yeah. Where they yeah. Were, yeah. As they've said in the first game, this was a staple move of the All Blacks, was the eight picks up passes to the nine, he passed the winger who scores. Pass to the guy who's unmarked, yeah. It really was that simple. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed that, like, Craig Green's tries, kind of like, they all felt like kind of mini tries that you could all combine to get one real try from. Because (laughs) he kind of cantered them all in. with It just kind of such an unexpected, like, oh, this is quite a nice surprise, I can score another one now, kind of way. It was like he was assembling the Chaos Emeralds. Yes. Um, it, it doesn't feel like he should get four test tries for this game. Yeah, sure, sure. It was very easy for him, cantering them all in. They were all in uh, the first half as well, weren't yeah. they, I think? Grant Nisbet makes a show of this, but this was the 100th te- uh, try of his career. 100th oh. first-class try of his career, he scored, uh, yeah. and goes on to score four more. This was the first hat-trick in the history of the Rugby World Cup, and one of 15 times players have scored four or more tries in total. It's very good. Statistics. It's. It also. I think they mentioned on commentary that it tied the record for the most tests uh, tries by an All Black in a test, mm. which was kind of cool because it, that's that was and from 1905 from like the first proper mm. touring All Black team. So that's kind of cool that that record held for as long as it did. Yeah, and he yeah. tied it, so it held until Mark Ellis scored six against Japan in 1995. So yeah, and also just really appreciate just how much of the 1980s Craig Green has just encapsulated with his look with the mullet yes. and the moustache yeah yeah he looks like a very 1980s new zealand man he very very much does which is a 1960s anyone else man yeah um, <laughs> we're we're following yeah so grant fox hits the post the conversion which is starting a theme as he means to go on yes um and then the all boys go to kick a penalty moments later and a fascinating thing happens where Grant Nisbet says, you know, we talk a lot about Grant Fox's kicking routine. Let's hear from the man himself. And as he's lining up the kick, they drop in the audio of an interview 
where Grant Fox talks through his kicking process and talks about the breathing process he's done that makes it far more easy for him to get kicks from out wide. And he misses. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. The camera kind of lines up to make it look like Grant Fox is talking as he takes the kick, doesn't it? Yeah, I was hoping it'd be that, like the sort of thing Stan Sports keep trying to do, mm, where the interview Cooper. players they're warming up or the moment yeah. they finish and so on as they walk off the pitch. I want more of that. I want players like as they're lining up a scrum. I want to hear their process and thoughts. I want to hear a player, a player just like give the lineout calls over commentary as sure, they're doing yeah. it. I want more of this. I don't yeah. know why they, I've never seen this again. Yeah, it's it's sort of a kind of like a pro wrestling kind of thing, you know how they yeah. they have a little picture and picture down in the down the corner where they do their little promo mm. um, as as the match is going on. So yeah, it was I was quite surprised with that because that's quite advanced for New Zealand uh, for uh, broadcasting rugby at the time, mm. which was pretty pretty basic. I like to say, to say they yeah. can't manage a scoreboard in the corner, but they can drop in. Grand Fox chatting. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, like it's and really also, advanced stuff. Yeah. yeah. We always call for silence from the kicker, but if the kicker isn't being silent themselves, if we're just <laughs> pumping their voice into the stadium, does that count? It's it's a it's a valid question. Of of course, the other kicker on the pitch was of course the one and only Super Boot. Mm. And what I love about him is that after he kind of took the piss doing it in the previous game, he's really committed to taking these kicks to touch from the floor. Yes. And I mean, you wonder why he's doing this bloody super boot. Of course, that's yeah, of course, he's just know? a mad lad, isn't he? And he does take another drop kick restart later on, which is mind blowing and revolutionary. And you notice it. It's just a lot of fun. I just really enjoy watching bloody super boot because yeah. there's a few moments in, you know, there's one bit where the All Blacks kick long and they think, they think they're sorted. They think they're grand. They think they've got a huge net gain here, but wouldn't they know it's bloody super boot. And there he is. He knocks it back in the back in their own half suddenly. Yeah, um, yeah. And there's a few points like where, because the previous game, it's a fair tactic of theirs to just test the fullback constantly at, because they're up against Stefano Grizzoni, who was a man who I think only discovered he had hands a day before the game. Um, <laughs> but this time, who are they up against? He's playing Superboot. And of course, he takes all of them soaring in the air, then sending yeah. them back with interest. Yeah, um, yeah. And the All Blacks quickly learn it's better to keep it in hand because we will invariably score if we run through four passes. What What I like about Superboot in this game is that his role is exclusively limited to kicking. That yes. there is that there's two All Blacks tries in a row, one scored by Gallagher, one scored by Green, where on both occasions Superboot misses an intercept because clearly they've said to him, "You're one of the first choice players. Don't make any tackles. Don't get injured." <laughs> and like, there's another point where he gets the ball in an attack and just panics and just looks really lost and just throws the ball straight to Buck Shelford. Which, to be fair. If Buck Shelford was stood there, I would also pass to him. I would, I would um, pass to him. And I, what I like best about him in this game is his kickoff strategy. Every time Fiji have a kickoff, and there's a lot of them, he just boots it all the way to the All Blacks try line, clearly hoping they're going to one day drop the ball and they can get like a, a scrum on their try line or or whatever. And it never quite happens. But no. and there's a few times it goes dead. There's one in particular where he <laughs> he gets he has the ball on halfway to take the kickoff and he just kicks it like 80 meters. And he just this goes fucking miles. There's one where it barely bounces before clearing the dead body. Yeah, line. yeah. It's great. I just, I remain the biggest fan of Sorrento Corridor Doer, or as he is better known, Bloody Superboot. 
This has been your regularly scheduled Superboot section. Please come back next week for more Superboot content. Yeah, so the All Blacks just find it incredibly, incredibly easy with almost literally everything they try and do. The point at which it's hard to be interested when they score tries. Yeah. If that's not a horrible way to put it. I I think the most interesting thing is just how quick they're getting them. I'm, I, I don't know this for sure, but I'm fairly certain that's the fastest hat-trick. It, it definitely would have been the fastest hat-trick that any All Black would have scored up until that point. Green, because he got the first, he got his tries in like the first almost 15 minutes. And I'm pretty sure that record actually might still stand. I was, I was trying to go through and find another one. So that, that's, that's another record that had happened. But I think, yeah, by the, by the time he's got his third, that you realise what's actually going on here, that Fiji are just tanking this game. Yeah. The quickest hat trick from beginning to end, like first try to third try, was Adamati yeah. Cooper in 2011. Mm. But as you say, oh, yeah. I think he gets his third try in about 32 minutes or something, oh, okay. um, which so long. is I think for an All Black, that's, that's, that's still probably... That doesn't yeah. surprise me. I mean, that's that's Maybe a record John- that... That is destined yeah. to be broken by Will Jordan in the next six months. But... Yes. Yep, yep, I can see that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's something I should probably have checked. Zach Guilford might have done it in 2011, actually. Oh, to fair, he was very tries, quick on that, he went off injured yeah. after about 60 minutes. So, we've got to say something there, Jamie. Yeah. I, th- I think Will Jordan might have already done it last year, actually, against Tonga, because right. he got five in that game. And, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure, like, three of them must have come across a period of, like, 10 minutes. There's yeah. another game that was that was hard to hard to kind of be particularly interested in after the first sort oh, of scrum. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, after that first try, you kind of went, okay, okay. Yeah. There is no underdog story here. Yeah, no. yeah. So Fiji kick a penalty, of course, when they're only 16 points down. You know, you can understand that 16 mm. points. It's it's not massive, but obviously it becomes very clear that Look, they're not bothered about tries when you've got bloody superboot. You can you can kick those penalties because you know you can get them from literally anywhere on the field yeah yeah so yeah as you, as you say uh, green gets his hat trick very early on there's a nice book shelford offload where <laughs> the yeah. fijians clearly have no idea how to deal with shelford because he's he's actually got a decent turn of pace on him which is something that i think a lot of people forget about well i certainly didn't know about him i just know him as a big hard lad but mm. he, he does have like a decent turn of pace on him, which means that it's very hard for fiji to get like two-man shots on him or anything so he had a decent offloading game certainly in a game like this when they were on the front foot all the time and there's one where uh, Michael Jones makes a lovely break and then yeah. is able to link up. Yeah, um, it's just. I, I will. I will say the first. The first half of this game is really brought back to me just how good Michael Jones mm. was. I know. I know. Obviously, it's a bit. It's a bit hard playing in a game like this to you know, really yeah. gauge how good someone is. But the fact that yeah. he would be in a lineout and then pop up in midfield to make that break. Yeah, like that to me is like a guy who's ahead of his time, and yeah. the re- the reason why there's a you know statue of him outside in park. Yeah. Sure, um, yeah, he's one of those players who's quick off the ball, isn't he? Like it's not yeah. necessarily just the stuff he has when he has the ball. It's the the, the way he manages to get from one side of the pitch to the other to get in support is it's a different skill. And then is and, throwing and, passes over the top, floated perfectly yeah. like that one, which a lot of fly halves were struggling with in this World Cup. Yeah, he was just most, a complete rugby player. Yeah. Yeah, 
So yeah, so it becomes, as you say, a, a route by this point. As I think Green's getting towards his third try, and he's generally playing really well as well. Like he pops up and does like what would nowadays be a fifty twenty two at one point early in the second half. He hits a few yeah. hard lines, which you know, coming off his wing and just like carrying the ball, he's kind of really putting himself about. Yeah, which yeah. is which is interesting because you'd think that would be the role that Kerwin would be playing, yeah. being the bigger, yeah, the bigger winger. Now, Kerwin has some nice touches in this game, mm. but he doesn't get anywhere near as involved as Green does. Funny story about Craig Green. So he, mm. after this, he he went and played quasi professional rugby in Italy. And he he never he never left. He's he still lives there. He's, I think it was Treviso or, yeah. or someone or ben, Benetton or whatever. Yeah. And every year the All Blacks play Italy. So the All Blacks play Italy like a ridiculously high amount of times. So like I think mm. outside of the rugby championship, they're the team that the All Blacks have played the most in the last like fifteen years. Really? Right. And Craig Craig whenever they go there, and I know this because I went there myself, someone <laughs> just finds Craig Green. And he gives the same interview over and over again <laughs> about about what it's like playing rugby in Italy and how Italian rugby can be better. Mm. And it's just the same thing every couple of years. It's, it's just like, oh, here we go. It's the Craig Green story again, like just to remind us all that he <laughs> still lives in Italy. Ah, oh, classic. It's like Scott Gibbs in a former Wales centre lives in South Africa now. So yeah. every time Wales play in South Africa he pops up on TV, but also he tends to pop over for Christmas and do punch over Christmas when he's back to see his family. So he's only on Welsh TV. Yeah, I won't be talking South Africa, so we'll see him again next year or over Christmas. And it's just always a nice thing. Like, oh, Scott's back to see his mum. That's nice. <laughs> but yeah, so as you mentioned, John Kerwin, who I think, he doesn't see as much of the ball but I think he looks the most talented of that back three, even though the other two score for weirdly. Four I think I think Kerwin kind of knows he's above this game. He knows he doesn't have to do anything like totally flashy to set the world alight in this game. I think he kind of knows that he can he can do as much in three or four touches as his other back three mates can do in eight. Mm. Every time he touches the ball, he is breaking the line. He is yeah. you know, right at the end. He does a lovely little like inside offload after taking someone on the outside. He yeah, just looks so good and the like, second half he, he literally good. just chooses to score a try at one <laughs> yes. point where he, he takes that blind ball and he literally just goes yeah i might as well score now uh and it's so easy for him oh that's mm. right yeah, yeah that was that was that was nice yeah it was well, it was very nice it was very nice this also so th- there's the point where we, where you get to half time they don't even have a break at half time do they is it I just tv footage because they're still talking about the first half, and the, the teams are just swapped. That was the. Thing oh, that I think they've me. just made a. I think they've just made a hard cut there. Like in those right. days, they would have just stayed out on the field. The coaches mm. weren't allowed on the field in those days. It, someone would have just come out with a bag of orange slices and maybe some water bottles, and it would have lasted about five minutes. And especially in a game like this, they would have just turned around and said, "Let's let's just get this over with." You know, very much like a school school game of rugby. Yeah, it's um. So I think I think they just cut it out because it wasn't right. wouldn't have really been much to to tell. But yeah, and obviously they didn't have any microphones back then either, so you wouldn't have been able to hear what they were saying. But yeah, yeah, I think it was just a hard cut in the in the in the coverage. Yeah, I had the same surprise of realizing, oh, the team just swapped round. It must be the second half, <laughs> which caught me off guard. I did just on you mentioning them bringing on the bag of sand and no bag of uh, oranges. I did notice. The sand bucket, which obviously Grant Fox comes on, you know, someone brings on sand, he has a little sand monkey, he brings on sand for him and he builds a little castle and he puts the ball in and he kicks it. They've got an official sponsor for the sand bucket. 
Have they? This is before the Rugby World Cup was massively commercialised. But Steinlager are sponsoring the sand bucket. Is that the only thing that sponsored the whole tournament? Pretty much. Other than Um, the advertising hoardings, pretty uh, much. The the interesting thing about the World Cup, uh, this World Cup and sponsorship deals, is they were were done so late in the piece. Mm. That's why the ball supplier was... I think the ball supplier was only locked in maybe a few days before the tournament started. And so so much other... So much other stuff got left last minute. And that's why the World Cup itself is just some random cup that has nothing to do with rugby. It's because they left that until the last minute and someone said like, oh shit, we actually need a World Cup for this World Cup. And so they sent this guy around the corner to the local, the antique shop and he just bought the first thing that he found. No, no way! No, no I'm serious. That, that, that is literally what happened. That's literally what happened. And that's why it's... Because like it's a nice looking trophy, I guess. Oh sure, yeah, really, oh, yeah. It has it has nothing to do with rugby, and it was <laughs> built. Uh, it was it was made like a hundred years before, and they just re engraved it. That's and, amazing. Uh, it was literally a guy just walked into the shop from in London because it was they were organising in London, <laughs> and just said like, "Oh shit, I don't know uh, how much is that one." And he's like, "Oh, that's eight hundred pounds or whatever." Like, All right, that'll do. And that was that was how they got the World Cup. Wow. Well, did I never know? Yeah. Could they not have even done the Bledisloe and ordered one six times the size? Well, I mean, ah, well, I mean, that's, yeah. There's no I mean, that's, that yeah. But, 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 I mean, if you look at the state of the opening ceremony. Yeah. I was, I was like, just thinking are that. Surpri- did, are you that surprised? This whole thing got left to the last minute. Yeah, hmm. I was wondering if they did get the trophy from the third best trophy supplier in Auckland, given given the state of the opening ceremony. Uh, pro- probably. I mean, it was no, it was it was in London. I know it's in London. Demo. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there's there, look look it up because I've only told I... like half the story. But but I, I will say one thing: at least it's a cup, which is more than sure. we can say for the soccer world cup. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. I'm that's just... just a big. Yeah. It's just a thing, isn't it? It's just a thing. Yeah. I've I've looked this up. Yeah. The it was a trophy that two employees who were two organizers from the Rugby World Cup walked into Carrington Co. in London. Yeah, and picked it off the shelf in February when the World Cup was due to you know start in May. Ridiculous. Um yeah. that's unbelievable. I love that. The owner of the shop brought the cup down from the vault and showed it to them. And now, a, a six hundred muscly men fight for it every like, four years. Yeah, there are like there are video games with that cup on the front. Yeah, and they yeah. just bought it. They just walked into a shop and bought the one they liked. Yeah, that's mad. That's crazy. It's like we are like seventy odd episodes into this podcast about that cup, mm. and we have just <laughs> discovered that there was then a panel of four people who approved the cup when they brought it back. <laughs> I really hope they brought home a couple of, like one of those like really shit soccer ones, which has like a really like weird soccer ball, the... which generically unbranded. And it says like know... second top goal scorer on it or something. So they could have brought that on and go, would this be a good world cup? For Christmas, I bought you a trophy that said most rugby values on it, Will yeah. Owen, and it had a rugby ball that looked a bit like a poo. And 
I put more effort into getting that cup and making sure it's personalised and everything than they put into the Rugby World Cup. You're absolutely right. Well, I, all I'll say is I hope that there's a video game with that on the front cover of it in years One to day. come. One day. So, yeah, I mean, I think we've sort of covered much of the first half. Yeah. <laughs> hitting the post. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's sort of fun. Oh, the, the, the one other thing I do want to mention, I guess, about the first half. The referee, we talked about it a bit on a previous episode, yeah. is Derek Bevan. Legend. Oh, no. Who is... <laughs> I, I want to... Jamie, I want you to elaborate on that reaction. Uh, well, I, I grew up in the era of Derek Bevan controlling a lot of all that games. And mm. I have to be honest, I have to be honest, he did a very good job in this game. He, mm. he just he clearly see what was going on and then by the late second half you can tell that he's trying to give Fiji a bit of a leg up like he's going yeah sure friendly, yeah. a lot of friendly friendly calls and in this era you can do that because yeah. every time it go into a tackle and you blow your whistle and you just give the ball to one team you don't really need any justification as to why so he <laughs> yeah. did he did that a few times but I do remember there was a couple of games in sort of 96 97 when he refereed I might have even been the World Cup where he just had an absolute shocker and they were mic'd up by then and you just had to mm. listen to him just going the whole game. And so my overall impressions of Derek Bevan as a referee were not that great, but I can appreciate what he's done here. He had, he has a very good game, but there is one thing about the officials that I had no doubt. Mm. So like, how good do the touch judges like tracksuits look? They're like, right. like crushed velvet, something something like, uh, you know, like Sopranos would wear, you know, they just have some gold <laughs> chains. Something I've written down J- Jimmy Savile sort of look, <laughs> but but no, they look better than that. I just like those like purple, purple kind of crushed velvet kind of looking things. I know mm. that they're probably polyester close up, but I just I'd look at them like, man, they look cool. Why, you know, it's like <laughs> when you're, yeah, when you're in the, I, yeah, I just don't understand. I just don't understand why the toaster just have to look fly. Um, also, uh, th- did you notice at the start that they said that Clive Norling was supposed to be yes. one of the yes. touch judges and he's been replaced because he's indisposed? And I just immediately thought he's had a big night. He's yeah, hung over. Exactly. I've, I've yeah. got it written down as well. Yes, he's, <laughs> he's hung over. We all knew what that meant. <laughs> They're so indelicate with it. Yeah. My favorite thing about watching Derek Bevan back, we mentioned this in the previous episode, but we kind of, I think to a lot of people sort of our age-ish from Wales... Derek Bevan has this kind of like grandfathery effect. He is everyone from Wales' granddad. He kept, like, <laughs> yeah. he worked as a touch judge until about 2010. And then he was a TMO until he retired <laughs> in 2017 from being a, you know, a TMO. Yeah. And he'd just kind of pop up and be this like doddery old man who was always wrong in every call, but everyone kind of went like, oh, it's Derek though, isn't it? You know, <laughs> bless Derek. And there was something great about then watching him referee properly back in his pomp. I'm realizing, like, if he is everyone's granddad, well, all of our granddads this camp. Because <laughs> he is, every time he throws the arm in the air, he is incredibly camp and fabulous and incredible. And I love it. I love his energy. Yeah. I also love that we, we kind of invented the phrase on this podcast of Steve rules because yes. Steve Walsh did not care about the rules. He wanted to play off vibes. Vibes only. Yeah. 
Derek rules is a whole nother level. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. There's My one favorite... point where a Go Fiji on. player outright knocks the ball on in front of him and he just yes. doesn't play on because they've got an overlap. Yeah. Not only that, but they got the ball in the first place because their hooker came in the side and <laughs> literally kicked David David Kirk in the chest uh, to steal the ball from him from the All Blacks side of the mall <laughs> and then passed it back to the centre who knocked it on and Derek's just like, yeah, but you can try and score, lads. Like, I'm not going to stop you. And the... um. The Fiji try, I guess, will... Actually, we should yeah. just do it now. Yeah, Let's know. just skip ahead. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The Fiji yeah. try comes from... It's Starmer. Um, it's Starmer. It's, it's uh, Starmer. Vunavalu begins the thing by... He's trying to beat David Kirk to a loose ball. Kirk gets there first. So he runs over and starts trying to stamp on his hands. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, hello. Hello. We have a new hello. guest on the pod. Yeah. There's my son. Oh. Okay. Young Mr. Wall. That's okay. You keep going, keep going. I'll just try. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're joined by... Like, just been put... Yeah. Yeah, Young this is uh, this James, James Wall Jr. He's, um, oh. Yeah, almost nine months old. Oh, so, James. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just chuck the song so you can watch it. There you go, boy. Anyway. <laughs> uh, what, what does he think of Fiji's try? Uh, oh, he's, uh, he's, he's about as impressed as David Kirk, to be honest. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's, asking, he's asking why they didn't do it 79 minutes earlier. <laughs> One day he's going to grow up, no doubt, to be a similar figure who, an ideal boyfriend material for mums in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> That's what his, his mum thinks of it. So yeah. I yeah, I got <laughs> sorry, I got lost in that, and I may have crossed the line. I apologise. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you say that Vanavala was trying to beat David mm. Kirk to the ball. I think he was more trying to beat David Kirk up. Like yeah. he's he's literally flying his knees into him and everything, and oh, yeah, eventually yeah. As I say, picks him up and drops him on his head. Like he stamps on his hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, around the same time as well, Kubu the twelve randomly hangs a high ball in the air. When you know there's a bit of an overlap, he just kicks it, hoofs it randomly. John Gallagher regathers it, like takes it easily. Kubo is jumping for the ball, doesn't get to it, so grabs Gallagher by. Like the top of his shirt, but like the shoulder above his shirt, and just swings him around and throws him at the floor. <laughs> it's... Yeah, it's 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 remarkable. And yeah, Fiji score a try from this, and the crowd love it as well. Yeah, bless them. I will say, if there's one, if there's one thing that Fiji did actually do reasonably well in this game was target Grant Fox. They managed to lay mm, quite a yeah. quite a few shots on him. So they they clearly gone out with a plan to like shut him down and and. But to, to Foxy's credit, he did bounce straight back up, which is what he was yeah. very good at. And I think, he, did he get a try disallowed? Did he... He knocks the ball on, like a yard short. I know the ball yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because he yeah. was famous for only ever scoring one try for the All Blacks. Wow. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. It's, uh, he, he definitely should have gone more. He should have got a cup on this bloody game. Oh, yeah, I'm just mm. watching it right now. I've just managed to put it on this. Yeah. yeah, and he, he seemed desperate to pass. to pass that one anyway. Like, yeah, trying to get yeah, it to yeah. Michael Jones. But that... you're right. Like, he he transformed from like being like the one like really outstanding footballer to just being quietly very good in this game, mm. which I think is credit to both him and to Fiji. That try, yeah, if he I... had grabbed it and not dropped it a yard short, would have broken the record for most points scored in one Test match. Yes, yeah. worldwide at the yes. time. I also thought Warwick Taylor had a. It's a pretty good game mm. outside him as well for a yeah. for a little a little uh, like a guy who probably could have only ever played in this time period yeah. with his build, you know, like he did a very good job stepping and you know, uh, and I thought Joe Stanley like those three 
I thought after after I listened to the pod about the Italy game, you guys were just trash talking the state of 1987 rugby, and then the then the subsequent ones about I think it was the Aussie England one, mm. which seemed to not really be a game of rugby at all. It was just some sort of, <laughs> I don't know what was going on there by the state of what you guys said about it, but I was I was sort of worried about this. I was just going to even be watchable, but I was by this stage I was like. Actually, these guys are string like obviously Fiji aren't trying very hard, but their passes are sticking and yeah, they kind of know where each other's going and yeah. stuff. So I was pretty happy happy with this, and I think it's because before that Italy game, the, the All Blacks would have literally only had like two trainings together because they mm. only would have assembled the week before the game. And by now they've had a few. And famously, this All Black team, the coach Sabrian Lahore, took them over to his farm in just north of Wellington. And made them do like farm work and they'd train all day. And and that's like this famous story about how they how he brought the team together. Personally, I think he just saw it as a good way of getting some free labor for his for his farm. <laughs> um, but that's like a famous story about this team that all of a sudden they right. went off on this like country getaway right. and they all came together and then that's how they how they bonded and eventually won the World Cup. I mean yeah, so that's that, that 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 to me at least it tracks with what I'm seeing in front of me now. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think that to be fair, so far in the World Cup, as you say, it's quite a difficult game to kind of gauge how good they are from from a game like this. But uh, even though they're basically unopposed, this is kind of the best indiv- the individual team performance you I see. Think so because they're not knocking the ball on every time they offload the ball, they actually yeah. look cohesive and look like they have the skills to kind of compete and at the national level. The good players look properly impressive. Yeah, you know, yeah. there's not yeah. like the the Michael Liner thing where he has a few really nice touches, but yeah. he's making mistakes left, right, and centre. That like then you can see the selling points of like John Gallagher yeah. and players like that who you hear are really good, but obviously on the basis of the Italy game, it's kind of a bit you get a bit shell shocked from that. And as you say, like Joe Stanley and Warwick Taylor, but two great examples of that. Set like they set up that try for Gallagher as well, where Taylor goes straight through the middle, throws that dummy, and you think like, oh no, no, these guys can play what's mm. in front of them. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That Joe Stanley try. The commentator, Grant Nisbet, says it's Smoke and Joe, which Smoke, well, calling him Smoke and Joe Stanley, like Smoke and Joe Rockefeller works. That, that sounds cool. Smoke and Joe Stanley sounds like he's got a problem. <laughs> wow. Sounds that's, like he's... That's... That's amazing. Is that the first time you'd ever heard that? I mean, I'd, I, I'd heard Smoking because, Joe. Because so. that, that's one of the most famous nicknames in, in all black like sport. It's like, are you actually, it's almost, I think there's a law in New Zealand that if you're going to mention Joe Stanley, you have to 
refer to him as smoking joints. I've not heard that. Yeah, it's it's a famous. It's his name of his because he, he. Yeah, I I'm I'm friends with his his daughter. She's a she's a journalist right. over here, right? Uh, as well, she's a really good journalist. And yeah, his his uh, he's a guy who who's whose stature in society was probably bigger than what his career okay. really kind of afforded because he was a very popular guy and. Right. Hmm. And yeah, part of it I think was just due to he had a cool sounding nickname because <laughs> I think they copied it from Smoking Joe Fraser, you know, for the, the boxer. Mm. And yeah, so he's he's a very well regarded all black, even if it, he didn't have like quite as as an illustrious career as as some of the other guys. Because I think by about nineteen ninety, he was he was gone. He was out of the, out of the setup. He, I don't think he played in the next World Cup. Much wrong there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 He also Joe Stanley, just on the mentioning his family and obviously, you know, Benson Stanley and so on. Mm-hmm. And Jeremy Stanley also played for the All Blacks. He's also the cousin of Tim Cahill, the footballer. Yes. Of course. Goalkeeper, wasn't he? Yeah. Which is just one of those connections where you go, oh, you know, okay. <laughs> sure. You just kind of see yeah. go, no, okay, uh, fine. Uh, Cahill was a striker. I think you're striker. thinking of, um, right. I think you're thinking of Mark, Mark, Mark Bosnich, who was the other Aussie who was... Right. In the in the Premier League, is that, is that... Uh, uh, my connections go back to like FIFA 08 is what I, where I'm getting this from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. that, that's like, but you know Tim Cahill. Yeah, I think he's the most prominent Pacifica footballer of yeah. all time. Right, half, half someone played for Australia. Right. No, fair play, fair play. Fair to say. Okay, so Pacifica footballers, good good segue here. Mm. Good old Superboot, right? Ah, oh, bloody so Superboot. Start of the second half. Fiji are forty six three down. Penalty on halfway. What should Superboot do but go for goal? And I can't help but wonder, did he think it's like basketball where if you shoot outside the area, it's worth more points? <laughs> oh, man. If there was, he'd become the most valuable player in the whole right? <laughs> And then I love as the well, disappointment when, when he, it becomes 46-6 and he knocks that over. He, he nails it. And there are Fiji fans in the stands losing their shit, <laughs> not realising it's 46-6. <laughs> Because they've got bloody superboot and he's just knocked one over from his own heart because of course he has his bloody superboot. And you know, it keeps on going. Like when when the All Blacks extend that to seventy four six, they still go for goal to make it seventy four nine. He's very much of the philosophy that like Russia had in the twenty eleven World Cup of we don't care about how many we concede, we want to score as many points as we can. Yeah, absolutely. Hence, you know, Russia dropping a goal when they were like 50 points down against Australia. There's yeah. that kind of vibe, Superboot just showing off. He's like a kind of, just like a touring circus act. You know, yes. like he kind of pops up and he's like, come and see the guy who can kick goals from his own half. He's Fijian. <laughs> and then Superboot steps up, nails it from halfway, and everyone cheers. And then you go back to the All Blacks demolishing them. <laughs> On the on the opposite end of the entertainment spectrum, of course, mm. there there's two All Blacks tries coming from five meter scrums, and one yes. of them's all right actually. One of them's all right because you get Bucky Shelford picking the ball up at eight and transferring the ball to to Alan Wetton, who scores with help from Buck Shelford, basically carrying the whole Fijian team with him. And then uh, yeah, just like Wetton over the try line, pulling the guy who's about to tackle him off the ball. Yeah, it's like he's taking yep. the trash out, but yeah. instead it's like. It's like this massive all black flanker throwing him over the trial. It was a it was a very eighties and nineties uh, style try. You wouldn't get that these days because his first instinct was to hit the tackle and turn around and feed the ball 
to the guy yeah. behind him mm. instead of hitting the deck. Like you don't, you know, you never get that anymore. And then that would create a kind of mini mall and you can do, mm. and then he does like what you said, just yank him over the goal line. That's It's interesting because uh, Alan Winton actually still holds a record uh, tied with Jonah and I think Brian Habana for the most tries in a World Cup. He got he got a try in every game of this really? tournament except, oh, wow. except the final. Yeah. <sighs> wow. That is a hell of a stat for read, back row forward. You can read you can read more about him and his brother in a book called Brothers in Black. Which Brothers in Black. Who's that written by? Really just let me um, just look yeah, this up. Oh, this guy called Jamie Wall. He's uh, he's friend mm. of you. Okay. okay. Did you okay. maybe publish another book? Because I'm wanting to read something about maybe the relationship between your books and Springboks, and I was wondering if there's anything. Yes. Maybe you know, in the last year or so, like since maybe. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard that there's one called the Hundred Years War, mm. uh, All Blacks versus Springboks. So, yeah, keep an eye out for that one. It's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah, yeah. Re- just repeat his name one more time, just so I can get it really. Jamie clear. Wall, W A L L. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Senior as well. Senior, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just to double check, <laughs> just, just to be sure. So, as I said, those, those those two scrum tries. That one I think was quite good. The other mm. one, I'm less fond of. Yes, I I gotta level with you guys. I like rugby. Mm. Okay, I like rugby and I like tries, and I like the bit of the tries where they put the ball down mm. and somebody scores the try. And to be fair. Here, Buck Shelford gives it a go. He gives it he a go. He does try. He does honestly try. He does his best. But the referee thinks, not good enough. What I'm going to give you is a phony penalty try. Not a fan. Not a fan. At which point, our boy Earl says, the Northern Hemisphere lads love a penalty try. <laughs> and if ever there was living proof, well, you know, living in 10 years time proof, it's Mr. Willow in the, that is not true. <laughs> and then it's from the restart of this. The superboot just boots it straight dead. <laughs> He's just had enough, hasn't he? It just kicks it straight. Obviously, the, the, rules, the rules are different in those days because mm. just booting it dead just results in a 22 dropout. <laughs> there, were, there were a couple of other rules that I didn't know had, had changed since mm. then. Like, I noticed that if you get a full arm penalty, uh, I'm, I'm not sure whether he's going free kicks or penalties. I'm not. I have no idea, but I don't think he knows. there were a couple of times where they'd kick the touch off off a penalty, and the other team would get, get thrown. Yeah. yeah. I first at first I put it down to the touch judges just not paying attention, but then after a while I was like, wait, this must have been a a rule bag then. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, we're like eight episodes into this series, and we still don't haven't figured that out. I think it changes somewhere. I think, I think it randomizes. Yeah. Yeah. But it it f- seems odd, and especially when you throw in the little. T- quirk of Blee Superboot going for touch from putting the ball on the floor as though yeah. he's taking a shot at goal. So you have no idea what he's doing until he's actually connected with the ball. Yeah. Yeah. And what to, uh, to be fair, of... that was that was somewhat common back then. That wasn't mm. just him doing it. As it was especially common in rugby league at the time as well. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So I, I'm pretty sure someone in rugby league did it first and then they all started copying him, which is usually the way things work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's that worked for Union for about 70 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we'll continue to do so, frankly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Have we, have we covered most of the tries here? We have. In we've some way, straight or form. Pretty much all the tries, except for all four of John Gallagher's. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're pretty good. I feel yeah. like he deserves a mention because you, you kind of. 
shit talked him in the last one. And to me, yeah, yeah. when I was growing up, when I was growing up, he was my favorite player. And, and right. so it hurt, it hurt me to hear that. The, oh, the thing is, I was going to say that I really like. I really like. Need to say that I've done a full U-turn on on him uh, uh, during this when, game because I want like, to throw up as well. Go on. Just generally, I just want to throw up. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> um, I mean, I had a look. My favorite player growing up was James Hook, and I ended up shit talking him on Twitter to the point at which I interviewed him, and I talked about this on the podcast before, and he referred to me as my troll. <laughs> and look, I've told this story before, but it was one of those days where at the time you're just trying to get through the interview. <laughs> and then you look back on it that night when you go into bed and you go, what would like 11 year old me have thought <laughs> if they told me like one day you'll be having full on beef with James Hook, like in a car park in Cardiff. Yeah, no, that, it's pretty bad. It's mm. pretty bad. But yeah, yeah. No, and John yeah. got like, like, as I say, he's one of those players who I knew was very good just from like having not really seen him play before, just like heard kind of like, you know, word of mouth type thing. And then not really getting that impression off the Italy game. But in this game, he was superb. Like he was, he took all the high balls they put up on him. Even though he was even under pressure for some of them. And yeah, yeah, he, he took all four of his tries brilliantly. He nearly scored like a, like a near impossible finish where yeah. he obviously oh. he wasn't helped by the fact he wasn't allowed to touch the corner flag back then. Derek wanted to give it. Derek yeah. wanted to give it. In Derek rules, that would have been given. But maybe even if Clive hadn't been on the night out, you know, if he hadn't had his vindaloo, maybe Clive would have been there and they would have backed each other up and they would have given it. Yeah. But the yeah. replacement touch judge. What a grass. Uh, yeah. What a grass. Allowed it. Uh, yeah, as you say, Gallagher's has a very good game. Yeah. And exactly. it's not just the four tries, you say it's generally uh, he's far better under the high ball than he was in the previous game. And yeah, he keeps popping up. And yeah, loads of different an interesting thing yeah. with. It's kind of the earliest, I guess, example of the back three being quite interchangeable. Of mm. he's popping up on both wings, and then Kerwin is Definitely. slotting in at fullback, and you see that kind of starting to happen. And Craig Green popping up in the centres as well in the midfield, and I think it's really interesting just the way they're beginning to do things that become quite commonplace from here on out, but are sure. really novel and interesting at the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Do we should, should we move on? Should we do man of match and dick of the day? I think no. so. I think so. I think we've yet covered the heck out of that. Should we start man of the match? Sure. Jamie, do you want to start? Yeah, go on, Jamie. Sure, sure. I, I think I'd have to give it to Craig Green. This was mm. the high watermark of his all-black career, I think, in terms of prominence. And he was a very successful provincial player who had grafted away, even though he played for Canterbury. I'll, I'll give him that. But he, he was a guy who's definitely held in pretty high regard by most All Black fans because he had a pretty he had quite a brief All Black career he got superseded by a guy called Terry Wright mm-hmm. a, a, a year later and he gives us like this fantastically easy opportunity to do an interview whenever we go to Italy so um, yeah thank you Craig Green see yeah no, no, no I mean you kind of want to be you know it kind of feels boring to give it to the winger that scores a hat trick but I think yeah the standout player is Craig Green I think there's like Grant Fox has a very good game. Uh, Michael Jones has a very good game. And I think yeah. John Kerwin looks like the most talented player on the pitch whenever he gets touches, but he doesn't get enough of them. Whereas Craig Green is playing above himself. And, you know, he's really, really performing. And you see it right from the way he hits the line on the first try and he takes it under the post and so on. And he kind of brings that energy in and he continues actually kicking and tackling and doing other things that would have felt novelties. I thought, yeah, he plays very well. Craig Green for me. 
Yeah, fair enough. I mean, yeah, I, I obviously agree with both of you. I'm going to go for somebody else. I'm going to go for John Gallagher because I think he really deserves getting that hat-trick in the second half because he does set up a few for other people and he breaks the line brilliantly. As I say, he just looks like a very solid fullback, which is such a rarity uh, in this World Cup. So, yeah, he gets my vote. And do we have a vote for James Jr.? Oh, yes, he gets uh, a vote. Yes, he uh, he's going to pick his favourite Old school all black Sir Michael Jones because mm. we went and visited his statue the other day oh. and he thinks that the Iceman <laughs> had a fantastic game around the park uh, and really made a difference in midfield, <laughs> popping in there um, yeah. and throwing some really well-timed passes. So uh, yeah. he's, that's his vote. Yeah, he he, he just nodded at you. I saw that and did some nodded. arm gestures. And yeah, he, he threw gestures. his arms up in delight at the mere mention of Michael Jones. Yeah, see, so, I, I think that's entirely fair, James Jr. A young man of fine taste. Yes, absolutely. Um, I won't ask him for a dick of the day. Um, yes. But if we move along, Will, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. So th- there's there's obviously there's a couple. There's uh, John Cohen for, for scoring without a dog being on the field, I think is <laughs> pretty uncharacteristic. One guy I had written down was Grant Nesbitt, because in this game, and it's, it's ironic... But in this game, he knew all of the players. And I feel like, has he just got bored of his job in the last 40 well, yeah, years? Yeah, like, at the start of the game, he talks about what a great game France v Scotland was. Yeah. And like, hold on, you watch non-All Blacks games <laughs> one day, Grant Nisbet. Yeah, yeah, like, he's done he's done all of his research at this point. It was, it was a real breath of fresh air. He commentated really well on this. So I always gave him dick of the day for that. But instead, I've got to give it to David Kirk. <laughs> Not only for his post-match interview where he just trash-talks Fiji, which is mainly for that. But there's also a point where it seems he takes half-time by kicking the ball out backwards on the fall, and it's not half-time. He's like three minutes early. There's also there was something else I had written down, but it was probably something to do with him being, being a dick after scoring a try or something like that. I can't remember, but yeah, my, my dick of the day is David Kirk. I want to go for the other captain, Kale Rikore, the Fiji captain, number eight, for the the sheer audacity of coming out after the game and saying, yeah, we weren't trying. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Which in some ways I love it and I respect it enormously. But you're not leaving this building without a dick of the day, I'm afraid, my friend. Yeah, I think that's a fair sacrifice on his part. Jamie? I I mean, I kind of wanted to give it to Kirky because for the same reasons as you will, but uh, after what, the Fijian captain said that he was right. So <laughs> I feel like he was kind of justified. So I'm going to give mine to Clive Walling for sleeping in. And, yes. Um, yeah, for uh, not making it not making it to kick off and probably ruining the other guy's day for having us stand in for him. I think that was an excellent shout again. That's brilliant. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Jamie, as ever. Yeah, um, thanks, Jamie. Where can people find you? Where can people find the sort of book by that, that guy that you mentioned that sounded excellent? Yeah, please, please, please plug to your heart's content. Uh, yeah, well, you can find me on Twitter at, at JamieWall2. Obviously, it's the summer down here in New Zealand, so I'm going to be tweeting probably more about cricket and amusing car license plates that I see on the street. <laughs> less uh, about Ben Blair this time of year. Yeah, less about that. But uh, we'll be firing up with Super Rugby starting in, I think, February the 18th, um, which mm. uh, at this stage is not going to have any crowds, but, you know, we'll, we'll make do. Yeah. And you find me on Instagram at, at jamiewall22. And that's just mostly pictures of me. <laughs> and you can find my books. So I've written uh, five books now. 
and the best place to find them is at Allen and Unwin uh, publishers.co.nz or you can find them on Book Depository and they're all on Amazon as well so if you just go to Amazon or Book Depository and search my name then uh, you'll find them there I just want to say as well, like for anybody who listens and enjoys this podcast, I really, really do recommend following Jamie on Twitter because Mm. in terms of like nerdy rugby trivia, I think you're very good for that. As well as just like clips of rugby players fucking up, I think uh, it's something that you're very, very on the ball with and you never miss a beat. So there's a very niche market who are all listening to this podcast and they will all very much enjoy the content you put out there. And yeah, no, just again, thank you for coming on. Obviously, we both really enjoy your work and think as always, you're a perfect fit to talk about the all blacks on this podcast so it's always always a joy having you uh thanks so much guys and no, i've really i've really enjoyed this um and yeah uh, good luck for the rest of it and i'm uh, i'm available if you need to talk about some more <laughs> oh absolutely. absolutely absolutely we're definitely calling on you at some point whether it's to t- talk about the world cup or to talk about Stephen donald whatever it is <laughs> we'll have both of you back yes thank you for doing it thank you will as ever for joining me uh, please join us again next week where the game we'll be covering will be Argentina against Italy. The two nations that were at that time tier two that are now tier one in a game that could be great or an absolute shambles. And I can't wait to find out which. Yes. See you then. We'll see you then. Thank you very much. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.